You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. The chances of the ground shaking more violently in a quake is much higher than previously thought for large parts of the country. A new national seismic hazard model was released earlier this week, giving the most accurate forecasts of the shaking that each town and city can expect. The Institute of Geological and Nuclear Sciences, also known as GNS, put 50 scientists to work modelling hundreds of thousands of fault ruptures to overhaul the previous 12-year-old hazard model. A few areas in low-risk Northland and Auckland and high-risk Wairarapa faced triple the previous hazard as before, and the major threat from the Hikurangi subduction zone pushes up the hazard in the lower North Island by one and a half to two and a half times what it was before. Dr. Matt Gertzenberger is a GNS science seismologist and project lead on the latest seismic hazard model. Earlier, I spoke to Matt about the increase in hazards some parts of New Zealand are facing, whether or not our infrastructure is prepared for these shakes and the different kinds of shakes we need to be ready for. Here is our conversation. Matt, could we start off by you explaining what the National Seismic Hazard Model is? What, what does it estimate and how it's used? Yeah, this is a model that we've brought together. It's 50 scientists from around the world, and we look at what earthquakes have occurred in the past and what we know about them and and what shaking they can cause. And then from that, we get forecasts of the range of shaking that we can expect across New Zealand over the next decades and century. And so recently the model has been updated, um, and in some parts of the country we've seen up to a doubling of the likelihood of an earthquake shaking hazard. Why the higher estimates now? Is it to do with better technology or better science, or, or has the Earth changed? Yeah, it's it's not due to changes in the Earth, so, but it, it's a little bit of, of both of the former. So we have we have much better computer technology now, so we can do things that we couldn't do in the past. Uh, but we also, more importantly, we have a lot more data and a lot more basic understanding of the science. Um, and so one one particular part that's really contributing to the the increases that we're seeing is our understanding of given a particular earthquake, how much the ground will shake around that when that earthquake happens. Was the increase in the likelihood of these earthquakes happening, was it expected or was it was it, was it it a surprise to GNS? It, it, it wasn't a surprise. We didn't know the exact amounts, but um, we've learned a lot over the last 10 and 20 years. And we had many different pieces of the puzzle that we bring together to create the national model. Um, so we had hints of where things would go. We didn't know the exact amount of the increases that we would see, but we knew that in general things were heading in this direction. Right. What kind of science is required to make these predictions? Um, as we could imagine, it's probably some pretty hefty mathematics using some pretty you know, significant computing power. Can you tell us a little bit about the science required to make these estimates? Yeah, yeah. So it's... Primarily, you'd call it a statistical model, but one that's heavily influenced by our physical understanding. And there's a, the, it's like I said, there's 50 scientists involved, so we cover a broad range of scientific understanding. So one of the kind of the key foundations is earthquake geology. So that's where there's geologists that will, say, dig trenches and faults, and they can look, say, on Alpine Fault, and they can see when the last 28 earthquakes were on the, on the Alpine Fault. Um, we use geodesy, so same thing that's used for GPS systems and so on, and you can see how the surface of the Earth deforms, and we can use that to kind of understand where strain is happening and where earthquakes are more likely and less likely. Um, and we use lots of data um, from, from GeoNet, so recorded earthquakes over the last really 200 years that tell us when and where they've occurred. And like I mentioned before, 
um, the, the shaking. So in given Kaikoura earthquake, the Christchurch earthquake, how much did the shake the ground shake around that? And we like combine that with global data. So we really need as much data as we can. So we're reliant on what happens around the world too. So you've cataloged earthquakes that have happened all around the country um, for 200 years, you said. And earthquake hazard obviously varies throughout the country. Some parts are far more prone than others. Um, but with these new estimates from the National Seismic Hazard Model, are there any parts of the country in particular that will have to seriously reassess their, their hazard profile compared to before? Um, the, the changes across the country are are fairly consistent in terms of the amount of increase. So it really is on this on the average, it's about 50%. There's, there's variations in any one location and um, some locations it may be no change. Some, some locations it may be two, two times or more. And what that, there's many things that contribute to that variability, but really one of the key things is the, the top part of the, the surface of the earth. So the, the top meters, the top hundred meters that really impacts how much shaking we have and that can vary over very short distances. And that's that's influencing some of that change is, is how we model that now compared to the to the past. Um, so I think on average, it's just, it's a reminder that earthquakes do happen everywhere in, in New Zealand. Um, they're not isolated along the, the, right along the plate boundary itself and that we all need to use this information to, to be, be more prepared, I think. And as it stands, are we prepared? Are most cities in Aotearoa ready? Um, you know, is the infrastructure there to face the brunt of an earthquake? Um, well, they—they—that's the reason I guess we do this. This this type of modeling is so that we provide the estimates of the shaking, and then there's lots of other agencies um, around the country and around the world that then take this information and they they use that to make sure we are are prepared. Um, so, if, say for example, the building code will be will be looked at, and they'll need to understand if how this information can be used if anything needs to change or if it doesn't or what has to happen there. Right, but from your opinion, right now where we are, do you think that we are underprepared for an event for an earthquake? Um, I, I think I, from from my opinion, really, I think we just need to use this information that we've got now and understand what the situation is. And communities need to look at this information and consider what they want to happen in the future when earthquakes occur and look and see if from their perspective, if if mm. if what needs to be done, if anything. Um, Matt, what about the Alpine fault? Um in a recent Critic editorial, uh, Fox Mayer, who's the editor of Critic, Dunedin's student magazine, he claimed that at some point in our lifetimes, the Alpine Fault is going to be all anyone is talking about. It's a really rare case of a national disaster that we actually know uh, is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. What can you tell us about the Alpine Fault? Um, is society prepared for that to rupture? And was Fox right when he said that it will likely be a generation-defining event? Um yeah, the, the societal questions are, are difficult for me to answer because I'm, I'm really focused on the shaking. So I really want to make sure that we have the best information for 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 those decisions to be made. Um, when it, when the Alpine Fault goes, there's a range of sizes of magnitudes that it could be. I mean, there's certainly a good chance that it, it has a, a major earthquake and that will cause significant shaking across the South Island and uh, um, parts of the North Island. And there's there's been a significant amount of work done in, in preparing for that. Um, and I don't think in that case, the particular information from the model is, is changing that hugely. I mean, that, there's more better detailed information about the shaking, um, but the, the, the groups are really onto that. The, the CDM groups have the information now that we're providing. So I, I, I think everything is underway, really. Cool.
there are different types of shaking, right? There's more prolonged shaking, and then there's kind of more rapid shaking, which leads to things like liquefaction and stuff. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So when when an earthquake occurs, it's a whole mix of different frequencies of shaking. So some is super fast, some some is slower, and different things on the surface of the earth respond to different frequencies of shaking. So like you say, liquefaction responds to the really fast stuff. And as, as the frequency of shaking gets slower, it progressively taller and taller buildings that respond to that. So one story building responds relatively fast and a 10 story building will respond to, to slower. And are different parts of the country more prone to these, uh, you know, specific types of shaking. Can we predict where, what type of shaking will occur? Yeah. So the, the this the the range of frequencies of shaking happen everywhere so what what's different across different parts of the country is that different earthquakes are kind of have more stronger shaking in certain parts of the frequency so in general a smaller earthquake has has relatively more of the fast shaking and a much bigger earthquake will have a larger contribution from from the the slower shaking but they're they're all mixed in there together um but said the bigger the earthquake is, really the, the more strength there is across the range of the shaking. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.